Welcome to episode six of History Stories for My Son, the podcast where we remember that history is a story that should be shared with every generation. As always, I'll ask that if you like this podcast and would like it to continue, please take a minute to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This week, I will tell you the story of Ulysses S. Grant, the man who won the American Civil War. I'm going to do something a little different than what I've done before. Rather than just telling you about the historical figure, I'm going to ask you to actually put yourself into the role of the historical actor. Imagine your name is Hiram Ulysses Grant. But ever since West Point, you've gone by the name you were mistakenly enrolled under, Ulysses S. Grant. The year is 1861. Imagine you're about to turn 39, just a year shy of the big 4-0. The occasion would likely prompt you to reflect on your life, measure your accomplishments and failures, think. Here's what you would have had to reflect on. Here was your life so far. After your overbearing father, a successful Ohio merchant, arranged your appointment to the United States Military Academy, West Point, without consulting you, you reluctantly accepted it out of the insecure suspicion that maybe he was right. Maybe, like he often said, he didn't have a head for business and couldn't make it in the civilian world. A small, shy, sensitive lad, he spent more time at West Point reading library books and working with horses than actually studying the curriculum. You graduated in the lower half of your class and went on to spend a decade serving in the Army. You served honorably enough, showed a particular talent for organization and logistics. That's the boring but necessary stuff of making sure an army has all the supplies it needs to survive. Food, weapons, shelter, and gets where it's supposed to be when it's supposed to be there. You even fought bravely in a few engagements and were moderately well regarded by your peers. But then you fell into depression and alcoholism and were eventually forced to resign in lieu of disciplinary action after reportedly getting drunk on duty. Your military career, the only career you've ever known, was over. By then you had a family and with the need to support them, you tried mightily to make it in the civilian world. You tried, but as your father predicted, you failed. He was right, your dad. 
He didn't have a head for business. Failed again and again and again. He failed as a farmer, despite working around the clock, living in a shack of a cabin with your family. We were reduced to selling firewood on street corners to make ends meet. Pawned your prized gold watch to pay for your kid's Christmas. Briefly worked in a real estate business. Promptly failed at that, too. Tried to get a county engineer job, hoping that your experience in army logistics would give you a head up. But you didn't get it. Finally, reluctantly, you'd been reduced to accepting your father's humiliating offer, an offer you'd turned down previously to work for your younger brothers in the family leather goods store in Galena, Illinois. So there you are, April 1861. Smart, educated, middle-class man trudging down the hill to your dead-end mindless job to go through the motions of another day. Even your friends now describe you as hollow, dead-eyed, not to your face, of course, but you know, there's a little apparent prospect for making your life better. Your life is half over, you've accomplished nothing. It's nothing of note. You would probably be in a pretty dour mood. You'd be depressed. Beat yourself up. Your failure, you'd think. Failure to your father, failure to your friends, family. Most importantly, a failure to yourself. Now let's imagine some mischievous time traveler greeted you on your way down the hill. General Grant, someone might say. Lost in thought, it takes you a second to focus on the stranger. Captain Grant, you reply, and that was a long, long time ago. No, sir, says the stranger. In four months' time, you will be a brigadier general. In four years, you'll be commanding general of the entire United States Army. and will have won for your country the most consequential war in its entire history. You'll be loved by your countrymen, hated by rebels. Eight years... You will be President of the United States of America. By this time, you probably have realized that you were talking to a crazy person. I must be going, he'd say brusquely. Good day, sir. But probably eye the crazy person cautiously as you passed him, keeping him in peripheral vision in case he lunged at you suddenly. You'd arrive at the family store, still shaken from the encounter. Simpson, you'd greet your younger brother. The strangest thing just happened. Have you heard the news? Simpson asks before you can finish. Rebels have fired on Fort Sumter in Charleston, South Carolina, They're calling it a civil war. And everything man predicted comes true. You travel to Springfield to volunteer your services to the governor of Illinois promptly put in charge of training a regiment of volunteers, which you do so well, you're quickly sent to lead your troops to Missouri 
to dislodge rebel forces. Sure enough, you're soon promoted to Brigadier General. By pressing your superiors with your twin qualities of organizational leadership and military aggressiveness, you may not have the tactical genius of Confederate General Robert E. Lee, but you show a strategic talent for marshalling men and resources on a large scale, deploying them decisively. This was a war riddled with timid, indecisive Union generals. Men who would move so cautiously that the rebels could outmaneuver them, or when they won victories, would fail to follow up and finish the job. You understand that to win, you have to fight. You have to keep fighting until the battle is decisively won. More famous and experienced generals dithered in Virginia quietly win the war in the West. That's why when a cabal of scheming politicians threatened by your meteoric rise go to President Lincoln to have you sacked, he says, I cannot spare this man. He fights. Soon enough, you are in charge of the entire war. When you go east, you don't dither like the generals who came before you. You lead your men to attack relentlessly from so many places at once that the southerners cannot take advantage of their interior lines of movement, keeping even the great General Lee so busy on the defensive that he has no time or resources to marshal some new tactical brilliance. Win. Most importantly, you win. And in doing, you herald the end of slavery in the United States. After Lincoln's tragic assassination, you lead the army into dismantling the slave system in the South. Despite President Andrew Johnson's veto of the Civil Rights Act of 1866, your army enforces it anyways, using force where necessary to prevent reprisals or re-enslavement of former slaves. After President Johnson, president who came after Lincoln, leaves office in disgrace, having been impeached, very nearly convicted, you, despite never asking for it, find yourself more or less drafted to run for president of the United States, people come to you and say you have to run. You're a consensus choice. You're the only one who can bring the country back together. So reluctantly, not because you want to be president, but out of a sense of duty, you consent to run. You win. Incredibly, you, eight years earlier, a store clerk working for your younger brothers are elected president of the United States. Think about that. Eight years from middle-aged failure, humble store clerk, one of the most consequential figures in American history. 
As president, you champion passage of the 15th Amendment, which prohibits voting discrimination based on race. You integrate the White House and appoint numerous African Americans to high office. Uh, you push hard to support the free, integrated, reconstruction governments of the South, governments that included former slaves participating as equals in democracy for the first time. And you deploy the army to crush the newly founded Ku Klux Klan. Unfortunately, many of your successes will be squandered by weak successors who permit the rise of segregation, a century of renewed discrimination. But you leave office having at least enshrined in the law, if not yet in practice, the high principles of equality on which the United States was originally founded, extending to all Americans for the first time the fundamental freedoms that the founders articulated. Having done everything in your power to help rebuild and reconnect a country shattered by four years of brutal war. That, ladies and gentlemen, is quite a comeback. If you ever wonder whether you still have time to do something worthwhile with your life, think of Ulysses S. Grant, middle-aged failure, walking down that hill in Galena. My insertion of a time traveler was, of course, a whimsical invention that did not happen, so far as I know. But I used it to illustrate how impossible it would have been for Grant to anticipate his own future success in that moment. It's really one of the great stories about how it's never too late to do something great with your life. That's the legacy of the shy, bookish boy from Ohio whose father thought he would never mount anything. I'd be really curious to hear from my listeners whether you liked this new approach to history stories for my son, making it a little bit less of a conventional history lecture and trying to make it uh, more of a story, dramatizing it, putting you, the listener, into it. Uh, if you'd like to give me feedback, the best way you can do it, of course, is to rate and review. I will read every single review on uh, every single podcasting platform. Uh, the other thing you can do is email me directly. I'm happy to hear from any fans of the podcast. Uh, the email I've set up for the podcast is just history stories for my son at gmail.com. That's all one word. 